Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. and welcome to episode 498 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, joined with Joe. How we doing today, Joe? All the dead air before we actually start a recording, I'm leaving in there to confuse people. Oh, good. I was worried. There's a weird little kicker in our music that Edsel got for us that I always forget to cut the tail end of it off. Right. And I don't listen to this podcast and no one, I think maybe people think that that's just part of it now. Right. Um, but there's like a little part that like swells up, like maybe like a minute in that I am supposed to cut out and I always forget to. Oh, well, always. I've forgotten to cut out for the last couple of weeks for reasons. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you're in charge. I, I defer to you in all cases of doing work. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you do whatever you want. Oh, boy. We actually have a show in these strange times, as we often do, Joe. Yes, sir. Um, and in the news, uh, Todd McFarlane's ideas to how to help the industry. DC sends out a questionnaire. Um, rumors of when comics may or may not be back. And uh, Diamond and what they're, what they're doing with their employees. And also, a comic company uh, strikes a TV deal. I know we love when that happens. Um, also, free digital books and sales. What we read last week, which was uh, Joe had to read Conan, and I had to read more Thunderbolts. Uh, What we're looking forward to this week, what we're going to be reading. Also, at the end of the show, we will be discussing uh, uh, the episode of The Boys that we have watched from uh, Amazon TV. Uh, Spoiler filled talk. I think that's everything. Did I miss anything, Joe? Uh, That sounds like everything. Good, because I love when I get everything. It makes me sound professional. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot less, so it's easier to do. Oh, good. But it's new stuff, so it's easier to forget what it is that we're actually doing here. Right. We have a formula that's that I kind of burned into my brain, and when it switches... You know, we both really love change, Joe. That's really what it comes down to. Oh, boy. <sighs> no. Don't swear. You'll have to edit it out. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Right. So let's start off with uh, Mr. Todd McFarlane himself. Mm-hmm. The man who uh, possibly spearheaded a comic book revolution some 30 years ago. Give or take a couple months. Right. Uh, he had a Kickstarter that I think got funded for, what, over a million dollars? I think so, yes. Right, something crazy. Um, for like new toys and figures and whatever else it is that Todd McFarlane does. Uh, but obviously with it becoming such a big success, he was interviewed about the current state of the comic book industry. And he had some ideas about what could be done and what should be done and what actually will be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, his main things are, is that everyone kind of needs to get on the same page. You can't have publishers all doing their own separate things right and you know obviously there's a lot of information that he has stating that you know they need to help out the retailers and a lot of people are as we've talked about in the last several weeks um but he also said that you know having the one distributor in diamond you know kind of screwed everyone Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's the one decision that whether or not you as a as a publisher were willing or able to go forward. The only one distributor, which we'll talk about a little bit later on with Diamond, and ended up being the thing that caused everything to fall apart. Which a lot of people I always thought talked over the years that they had a monopoly and it was only a matter of time before something went wrong. We didn't think it would be this, but, you know, something did go wrong. Mm -hmm. And then I think they pointed out in the article that it was uh, because Image uh, signed an exclusive deal with Diamond at the time as opposed to putting their books out through the, the rival company, which is Capital City. Not to be confused with Capital City from The Simpsons, <laughs> right. but some people say that Image deciding to only go through Diamond as opposed to, you know, their competitors as well is what gave Diamond the leverage to be able to become the monopoly that they are today. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, say what you will about Todd, whatever it is. You want to make fun of his uh, intros and outros to the old uh, cartoon (laughs) of Spawn on HBO. Lord knows I do and did. Yep. Those are always my favorites. But the other question is, of course, is is anyone going to listen to him? I mean, I think people, they may not be listening to him, but I think a lot of people are on the same page. So... Like we're we're headed down that path, whether he is guiding them or people are going on their own. I'm hoping that that's you know what we're doing in the industry. Yes, but it's interesting, you know, see him get his Kickstarter up to like a million bucks. That's pretty crazy. That shows that whether it be Todd's name still has market value or that Spawn still has some sort of niche market value enough that especially in these days. Mm-hmm. people are willing to pony up that much money for things, you know? Yep. And, like, you know, it's nice to see people, like, creators, too, like, with his kind of cachet and other people like Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and I'm trying to think, like, Donnie Cates and stuff like that. They're all, like, giving and doing what they can to to help the industry. And I like, you know, the, the creators that made a lot of money in the in these times are, like, doing what they can to help out retailers. And I think that's just fantastic. I look at, like, those Jim Lee auctions and they're ridiculous. Like, the cat, the, the Batman Catwoman went for, like, $15,000 a 9 by 12 I'm like, it, like if Jim Lee keeps going, he's doing 60 days. They've added Art Adams. They've added Ivan Rice. They've added a couple other guys. Jim Lee may single-handedly save comic retailers with his uh, art auctions. I mean, like 60 days at like, if, if they average out to about $8,000 a piece, geez, that's a lot of money. So hopefully, it all, you know, that'll all get into the retailer's hands. I know that's a side note, but that was floating around the back of my head. I didn't save the Jim Lee listing from last week when we were talking. Right. I have a in a Facebook uh, group that I'm in, somebody was actually keeping track of what they were going for and like how as as they were going off, like how much he had made up to that point. I think it was something like eighty thousand dollars at one point. Mm. so it's like it's legitimately crazy i'll see if i can find it you know for next i'm week. looking right now to see what he has up there um 
So currently, there's a Batman Grim Knight, a Batman Red Death, a Wolverine by Art Adams, a Phantasm by Raphael Albuquerque, and a Dead Man sketch, of all things, by Jim Lee that's tipping the scales at over $10,000 as we speak. Good for him. Uh Uh-huh. Let me look to see if I could find... I found what they the first ten went for. Okay. Nightwing went for sixty five hundred dollars. Bizarro went for four almost forty eight hundred. Azrael, for some ungodly reason, went for nine nine ninety eight hundred dollars. Doctor Fate went for seventy eight. Batman Who Laughs went for almost eleven hundred. Big Bardo went for eighty one hundred. Doomsday went for fifty one hundred. Uh, Batman Beyond, 11600 Batman Red Rain, which I believe is the one that had Catwoman, went for $17,300. Um, Wonder Girl for almost 5800 And combined, the first 10 pieces sold for $87,530. Average price per piece, $8,753. So I have uh, figured out how to grab that and bookmark that so we can revisit this next week. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And those Art Adams are going to fetch a pretty penny because he never does commissions. So, right. like, does sketches. Like, if he does them at shows, they're real quick. A head sketch. Like, he's doing full Wolverines and stuff like that. Those are going to go for, like, buku, comma, money. So uh, I do want to mention, of course, uh, when looking at some of the other and, you know, obviously Jim Lee is doing this on eBay. Other people are doing things on uh, Instagram and other social media sites or however it is that they're doing it, cutting cutting down on fees and what, or whatever it is. Uh, I have been noticing when some uh, comic book professionals are retweeting it and sharing it <laughs> again. Uh, it has to be deliberate that they're not including the Rob's handle in their uh, promoting of it, you know? That must be just an oversight, Joe. Yeah, and again, one person specifically leaving out um, the Rob's Twitter, like five people, you know, all separately publicizing what people are doing, and it's like, it's a quote tweet where Rob is, you know, his handle is in the quoted tweet, but then they're also like listing like, oh, this person, this person, this person are doing such a great job, and they're not leaving, they're not including the Rob's name. <laughs> I just thought and, it was funny. And I want to see what some of these pieces go for, and then compare them to Rob's, and mm-hmm. then if I'm going to get myself blocked, it's going to be like, how come yours don't go for what Jim Lee and Art Adams just go for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I not- wouldn't do that. That's it's best not to poke the rob. Right. That's for people well above your pay grade. <laughs> so uh, moving along, Todd, you had mentioned about DC reaching out to uh, retailers. Just kind of a survey asking them what they're doing, how they're doing, you know, general information, um, contacts. Um, if they're able to accept delivery, um, would it be at like the store or warehouse a home location, 
asking them if, if they did during, you know, before the official shutdown, were they doing curbside pickup, local delivery, um, online sales, just kind of like getting a read on who's doing what. Right. Uh, also asking them if other than, if there's any other distributors other than Diamond that they're getting their stuff from. And more on all of this later, but it's interesting to see that DC being so proactive about this, maybe other publishers are, and we're just not hearing about it. Right. I think they will. Like I said, they're going to do whatever they can to get their books on the market. So hopefully, like you said, coming up, we, we may see like some information on when we'll be getting some new stuff out there on this is the, this is the gateway to making that happen. Right. And, you know, we, we talked about Diamond, and we talked about, the, you know, they're obviously the hub of all of this. They're the distributor. And they were, as of last week, still open, partially sending out old stock to retailers' homes if they so requested. And they did just announce, as of this week, um, that they have decided to uh, furlough many of their employees. Uh, several people will be continuing to work in quote-unquote business-critical roles uh, while they're able to resume distribution and, you know, so forth. I guess, you know, with a week's time, they were able to determine what sort of staff they need to have on on, on hand. Um, while they will not be paying their employees, they will be taking care of during that time any of the employees' health benefits. So, you know, right. at 100% cost. So that's uh, very positive of them to do. Right. I look at it as they probably saw the orders that they were getting coming right. in for, you know, uh, older material that was back stocked and everything. So they figured that out. They're like, all right, we need this many people to handle it. Let the rest go home. I think it's great that they're handling the the health insurance and stuff like that or their, the, whatever they're, they're doing with that. And, you know, hopefully like in this world, like the. The, the government's helping with a lot of unemployment and adding like the length that you can stay on unemployment and who can collect and all that stuff. So hopefully that, you know, those people who get furloughed will be doing okay with all that. Um, and they'll be all right. Right. And then of course, rumors were swirling over the weekend of when, uh, you know, obviously on the much larger thing of the entire world economy and the United States economy, but uh, when Diamond is going to be reopened and when we're going to have comics again. You know, we still have those first two weeks of April comic books that have been sitting at a warehouse now that have not been shipped out. And uh, indie publisher Alterna actually said that they had contacted Diamond and they were informed by Diamond over the weekend that the potential earliest release date for new product would be in August. He. <sighs> Right. Now, that decision made Alterna say that they are going to cancel all of their future solicitations through Diamond, withdraw itself from the direct market, and deal directly with retailers and customers themselves. Uh, they are not the first publisher to do something like this, but obviously they're the latest uh, to do so, of course. Right. Do you think that that's the way, you, like, in, instead of have Diamond having competition, that in the end it will be every fish for themselves trying to get in the retailer boat, if you know what I mean? Yes. That's I, the, but go ahead, sorry. It, right, okay, go ahead, go ahead. 
but that's instead of like I said, you know, every retailer having an account with these with these uh, major core. Obviously, DC and Marvel would have no problem. Image stuff like that. Dark Horse, the tenth largest Valiant would be in there. But the littler, little, littler ones, I wonder, and maybe they could like form networks and stuff like that and make it easier. But I have a feeling that's the way it's going to go. Definitely for right now, but maybe in the future until maybe a diamond could get competition going and other distributors, but everybody's like, Hey, what do you want? Order directly from us, which I think is great, but would be a nightmare for retailers. Right. So it being a nightmare for retailers, of course, that being if the publishers don't get on a similar page to help out the little guy. Right. So that they don't swamp the market. As you mentioned, you know, those top 10 retailers or top 10 publishers can do everything. Mm -hmm. They can go through Diamond. They can go through other channels. They can go directly with the retailers themselves. Uh, I I am for certain that you're going to see, you know, the lower end publishers like an Alterna, even like, you know, Archie might even be included in that. You know, the folks that, that don't have their own section in previews could just deal directly with the retailers cutting out the quote-unquote middleman of diamond and maybe passing some of those savings along to the retailer to make it more lucrative for the retailer to be able to do so right and just on a side note you mentioned that to me i think of all the ones that you mentioned of the smaller ones Archie'd have the easiest because it seems like they have their own distribution regardless because they put out those digests to store like non-retailers on their own. And I'm wondering if they could sidestep over to that stuff to make it easier for them. They might actually have an, an easier job, but I totally get what you're saying. Right. So as Alterna made this information public, of course, all the comic book news sites started digging into everything and they discovered that Diamond's current plan is those two weeks of books that they have for the first two weeks of April are going to be sent, if requested, directly to the retailers' homes. Right. As of the third week of May. Oh wow! So that's a that's a that's a that's a gap. Right. That's so a, I'm wondering why, but anyway. Right. So again, you know, specifically it says distributing the currently held new release books to stores as of Sunday, May 17th to be able to sell that Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Um, There may be certain delays, of course, depending on, you know, where you are in the United States, international peoples and so on and so forth. But this is under the guise of. If physical retail stores are not open as of May 17th or or thereabouts, the retailers who have answered these polls and have been, you know, contacting Diamond, having things shipped to their house, you have those two weeks worth of books sent to your house and then you do all your mail order stuff from your house. Right. And then it also makes me wonder because DC and Marvel and all the companies can't get those two weeks of books back because they're already at Diamond's Warehouse. So it makes me wonder if DC and Marvel and the bigger ones, because they control the market, maybe some of the lesser ones are going, all right. When can we basically maybe get back on track? Maybe the end of May, beginning of June. Well, you know, uh, Diamond's going to be down. If we can get those books out at that time, then we'll have everything in place 
for our next round of books to roll out a week or two or three after. You know what I mean? Like that's to me, that's maybe giving me a time frame of when DC and Marvel think they can have all their ducks in a row and get the new books that aren't already printed and in diamond out and in the hands of retailers. That's when my, like my opinion, like we will see Marvel and DC putting out new books is after those two weeks of books that we get shortly after that, unless of course something goes completely like horribly wrong in the world, but otherwise I'm shooting for that's when we'll get new comics back. Right. And obviously, you know, there's two weeks worth of books that are sitting and let's just say that May 17th date ends up coming to pass, you know, and we're currently living in a time where we're all living day to day, week to week, whatever it is. Do we know that Diamond is going to ship all like those full two weeks orders in one week or are they going to ship one week, one week and one week the next? I think they would ship them all in one to save on billing, on shipping. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? So, because you're already other... two weeks, you're already you're already months, a month and a half away from when they came out. So when does it matter? You know what I mean? So what what I'm thinking is we were informed that those two weeks were already sent. It's the books that would be coming out this week that never made it to print. They never right. made it to press. Mm-hmm. So that now they send those things out on May 17th for the retailers to start sending out mail order, or even if their physical businesses are open. Right. Those two weeks worth of books that were supposed to be the first two weeks of April now carry them the two weeks, the last two weeks of May. What was supposed to go for to the printers for this week and next can now become June's books. That's what I was trying to say if I didn't right. say it well enough. No, no. So that I'm just trying to look at this of you know, are the retail now, obviously diamond has the books, they could do whatever they want with them, but let's say diamond decides to send those two weeks worth of books to the retailers can Marvel or image or DC or whomever say you need to dole this stuff out. The stuff that we had originally solicited for week one of April, you could only sell May 20th. The stuff that we had week two of April, you could sell the following week or do all the retailers just say, just sell what you can. I think I, I I totally get what you're saying because a lot of times like during Christmas and stuff like that, they'll be like, all right, we're going to send you two weeks worth of books. So we don't have to have like, you know, trucking and shipping during that crazy week of Christmas, but you have to hold them. That would be great. But I think if DC and Marvel, especially, or any of the companies had any like, you know, compassion in their heart, they'd be like, if you get them all, sell them all because that's a quick way for the retailers to make some quick money because it'd be telling these people who are, you know, working hand to mouth right now and worrying about their mortgages and their, their bills going, you know what, don't make that money. You can make this week, make it next week. Yep. You know, because like I said, if you have the ducks in the road to get the, those books that we think, you know, would have been. Uh, after those two weeks to the printers and ready to come out after you ship those two weeks that are already at diamond, then everything will be, you know, fine in the way of reopening the, the shipping routes and everything. It all depends on, on that kind of stuff. If they have the, if diamonds not ready to go, if they have their, their uh, distributing ready. So that's the way I look at it. It's, it's, it's a bit of a juggling up in the air in my mind, but gives me a timetable that I'm hopeful for. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take hope. I'll take a little bit in my heart, you know? Absolutely. So, and then last thing, of course, uh, a little bit of good news, I guess, during all the midst of this boom studios, uh, announced a deal with Netflix, 
uh, of a two-year first-look TV deal of a bunch of their properties. And they do have a bunch of original properties that they've acquired over time, whether it be that they've housed inside. And there's stuff that they actually already have that's out um, to be made into films. So I, I would assume anything from Boom or that was started at Boom that is out there looking to be a film, just off the top of my head, I know um, Unsound and Empty Man from Cullen Bunn are, you know, currently like in treatment. I don't know how far along things were in production before everything shut down. Those were out there to be films. I would assume that they would get first crack at Netflix if and when they get made. Um, Mouse Guard was one that was actually supposed to be like it was at Disney for a while. Mm -hmm. And then uh, surprisingly, Disney didn't want to publish a fantasy movie about animated mice killing each other. That's right. They don't believe in mouse on mouse crime, Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, good for Boom. You know, obviously, it's good to see Netflix reaching out to someone, anyone, anywhere uh, that they have, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of properties. Yeah, because they have they're going to have Boom now. They have Sandman coming up, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's another comic part. And don't they have, I believe, don't they have the rights to, like, like Mark Millar as a person who, like, creates, he's, like, they have his back stock that obviously not uh, the, the, the Secret Service one and a couple other, like, wanted that he's already got the rights out to. But his other stuff and new stuff he was making. So, like, Netflix might be, you know, the comic book TV uh, network besides DC and Disney. Yeah, they have the Millar verse that already hasn't been. Yeah, right. Pro sold the property, sold. So good luck. So to good Netflix. for Boom. Good for Netflix. I'm glad to see a little bit more uh, stuff getting out there. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh So I think that's it there for the news. Uh, you know, the news always ends up being a much bigger thing these days because there's a lot going on. Yeah, we have a lot to figure out and discuss most of the time now. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so uh, you could look at the show notes, of course, for the uh, links to the conventions in your area that have been canceled or postponed or otherwise. They're starting to pull those things off the list, you know? Right. And uh, I'm just going to look here arbitrarily. Let's look at the first week of May. Mm-hmm. To see what the first week of May is looking like. Now, see the May the May conventions don't have postponed or delayed or otherwise on them. Right? Maybe they ha they haven't had to pull the trigger yet. Couple of them know? do. Couple of them don't. Uh, White right. Plains, New York, has officially said that they've uh, delayed the Meadowlark, not Lemons, but uh, Meadowlark <laughs> Comic Con in Medford, <laughs> Oregon, and. Uh, what was the other one? The Buffalo Comic Con are both still on track for the first or the first weekend in May. So who knows? Right. Well, I just saw today somebody asked Baltimore, and Baltimore September October. I don't have it in front of me. They said they're still on track. Yeah. Um, I mean, like we discussed in the past, New York has literally they are a field hospital right now. So we'll see how that goes. And I was trying to think, like they're they're about to make. You know, as we were recording this, there's been rumors and innuendo that San Diego is going to make an announcement in the next day or two, whether they're going to, you know, it's going to go on, which I think that'll be canceled. That's going to be huge news if it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I could, so I could definitely see them doing a official postponement, not an outright cancellation. You know what I mean? 
of San Diego. Yeah. I will. I mean, I know we don't bet on this show anywhere, but I would bet my bottom dollar that it's canceled, canceled because just the, 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 in an articles that I was reading, just the, the, what they have to do to get everything lined up for that one week, you would have to get all these people, all these people to sign up for another date. And you also have like conventions in those other slots. I think this will be the year without a San Diego. Wow. Yep. They might do some weird like digital con mm. or something like that. But everything I said is like to get all those, like, especially cause it's not even a comic con anymore to get a lot of those big company movie, like things that they do that they have it on the schedule. And then what are they promoting movies that they don't know if that'll be out? Well, everything, you know, we talked last week on a lot of stuff just kind of got moved back to like November dates and so forth. You know, right. one can assume that they're just going to move those things to those new dates and kind of line everything up there. Right. But then all that stuff that they have in the pipe to be giveaways and merchandise and exclusives for everything that they had in the months after that, they're going to be pushing stuff that was out. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, yes, they, sir, they, I do. They get involved like months in advance to get the things to be made to promote the things that'll be out in November that will now be pushed to the spring or summer of next year. I just think it's a big cluster and will not happen. Not trying to be negative. That's just my opinion. No, no, I get you. I get you. So uh, also while you're over looking at the links accompanying the show notes, uh, we talked about a Kickstarter before, obviously not on the level of Todd McFarlane's, <laughs> whose is. Um, it's always good to support the, the the true independent spirit and longtime listener of the show, Chris Runt, is trying to kickstart his book entitled Battle Monsters, uh, combining the world of uh, Pikachu, which you can uh, hear a little bit more about the world of Pokemon over on After Dark this week, <laughs> uh, with the post-apocalyptic world. He's got a little bit over two weeks left to go. Uh, they're over halfway there to the, to his goal. Uh, be sure to help him out. Uh, you know, you can help out and get a digital copy of the book as little as five bucks, you know. Right. But uh, check it out. Do all the things. And uh, if it so suits you, you can uh, go the top of the line, get the uh, $100 gimmick, and you get the CGC graded copy of the book, too, you know. Ooh, an opportunity. That's right. Uh, so also over in the show notes, of course, soon to be named Network. Uh, soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com uh, where all the shows and our friends like-minded individuals etc uh, whenever their shows come out we put it up there whether it be profane arguments puzzle warriors 3 uh, at odds with wrestling this show of course Longbox heroes after dark as well wednesday night wars final wrestling place and a uh, friend of the show, charter member of the soon-to-be-named network, music guy extraordinaire, David Kincannon, has been popping up on other podcasts recently. One involving the Mighty Ducks 2 film, <laughs> and another one involving the Bare Naked Ladies uh, music. Ooh, look at him going into business for himself. Mm-hmm. Well, he's guesting on shows. He's got a network, you know? Like He's that. got his like own that. network within the network, you know? That's right, you know? Good for him. He's keeping busy. 
Uh, also in the show notes, of course, is the digital sales that are still going on. Uh, that Avengers one and the Fantastic Four ones from last week are still going on. Uh, the f- uh, DC is having a sale on Catwoman-related stuff. And I say you just go and grab any of the Ed Brubaker stuff in there, and you'll be doing yourself pretty good uh, for some comics. If you got a couple extra digital bucks to throw around. But, of course, uh, there's a ton of freebies that are out there. Nothing new being added to the freebie list. But as I mentioned last week, if you go and add that stuff to your digital cart now, don't have time to read it today. Maybe you have time to read it tomorrow, next week, next month. It'll be there for when you are ready. Mm-hmm. So like I said, all that will be over in the show notes uh, for you to get and fill up your digital baskets with. <laughs> all the baskets you have left over from Easter, you can fill up with digital comics. That's right. So let's get into what we read from this past week, uh, which is more of Kurt Busick's Conan and more of Kurt Busick's Thunderbolts. You're right. I guess I will start because I'll give you a break after you do so much of that wonderful talking that you do. All Um, right. I read Thunderbolts in the the precise order that they must be read. Um, And I started with Annual 97, which you're – According to some people, you're supposed to read before one, but I see where where this fits in now. Um, I really liked this issue, and then I'll get into like the ongoing series. Um, it was cool to see Zemo because the basic gist of the story is Zemo is Jolt wants to know the origin of how the Thunderbolts got together, and he brings her in and he starts telling her the story. But the story's told in two ways. It's told in like captions of what he's really telling her because he can't tell her that like, Hey, we're a super villain team that we're going to, you know, go under the radar, replace the Avengers and uh, take over from the inside. So he's telling her like what, she needs to know in these little things and then how it actually played out is the is the main story so that was interesting to see him like recruit people and how he got atlas he owes atlas owes him and you know techno helped to get atlas out of the dimension that he was in then these creatures show up that i think will play out down the line later but i'm not 100 sure and we get that whole story and i thought it was cool even to the point of everybody's on board but moonstone or, or meteorite or whatever they're calling her because they take her out against her will from a prison. And then they're like, Hey, you can go back, but you're going to add 10 years to your sentence. So that leads me into stuff in the, in the regular story where she's up to a whole bunch of, you know, shady stuff in that she's like, you know, manipulating the team and, and, and doing things and has her little, I'm not sure what she's up to, but I'm enjoying her character a lot. She's like my number one character of I'm, I'm interested in because she's like a poor man's Harley Quinn, but in that she's the the psychiatrist who's doing the villain thing. So I, I want to see it. And then after that, it's kind of like, songbird because she has this whole thing where she's just a needy helpless horrible person who then starts to get some actual confidence in this storyline and i actually went from like really disliking the character to liking her a lot she's like the like some of the most fun that i've had and i also like the fact that techno gets a new body because he had one of the worst designs in the history of comics like looking at him in just like a a red sweatshirt with like 
techno stuff all over. So he gets killed, which actually shocked me. And then he gets put in this like robot body and he's doing stuff. So I, I, I kind of liked all that. And then there was a neg- uh, minus one issue, which was fun to see all their lives before uh, they were Thunderbolts. Between the time before they were recruited and kind of like their 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 formative phases in, the, in their life. And that was all really good. And then we get to an interesting issue of a backstory of like Black Widow suspecting uh, everything and she ends up telling a story of how like first of all she was questioned because she was not like she was a Russian spy and everything but then tells the story of how Hawkeye Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch like became on the Avengers who were villains before and become redeemed and I really didn't put all that together like the the redemption and how the Avengers have a history of redemption in the Marvel universe. But that was a really great story told that I was not sure because Kurt Busiek is so good. I was not sure if this was a old story told modernly Mm -hmm. or it was a modern story told in the way an old story was told. It was that good. And that's Kurt Busiek's like greatest gift from untold tales of Spider-Man to like his Avengers forever. He knows Marvel history and knows how to use it well. So So last week when we were talking, I so bad wanted to stooge off to that Black Widow issue because that's one of my favorite issues of the run. Mm -hmm. And that's during that era where I was hot and heavy and like just reading tons of Marvel stuff. um, And Black Widow was like the last Avenger left after Heroes Reborn. Like she didn't get picked or whatever. So she has like this survivor's guilt. Right. And she shows up in uh, the uh, the Daredevil run that's co- concurrent with this and a bunch of other stuff because she's, like, the only Avenger left. So when she shows up here, obviously, you know, they kind of make it really ambiguous whether or not she knows or doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But she kind of, like, just leaves the pieces there because she's telling this to Jolt, right, if I remember correctly? No, she's telling this to Mach 1... And somebody else, and because he's telling him, like, I know, she goes, I can't prove it, but I have my suspicions Yeah, that I, but I don't know who you are. But if I did have proof, I'd have to report it. But I'm pretty sure your leader's the worst of the worst. Uh-huh. You might want to turn on him now, and maybe we can work out a deal. And she goes, deal with it. I'm disappearing. And they're like, what do we do? And yeah. then, like, you can say what you want. And then we get to issue 10. Uh, on that but she tells the story of you know how the hawkeye had to go through uh redemption and everything like that so uh you you know a bunch of the stuff that you'd mentioned going through all that is some of my favorite stuff you know whether it be techno getting the new body um techno still like kind of having like this whole carefree attitude in regards to this like he sees this whole like it's almost as though he sees this more as a game than anyone else mm-hmm because he gets to do a whole bunch of different cool things and be the character when you see other characters becoming more familiar in their superhero role and getting their loyalties about to be tested. But that annual where Citizen V is telling Jolt the origins of everyone. Right. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were going through your whole thing. But that's the Lionel Hutz t- prepping Marge for the stand <laughs> of saying there's the truth and then there's the truth <laughs> right 
And I like, like, Moonstone's like, there's a ton of holes in your story. She's like, she's not going to figure it out. And I'm like, is she going to figure it out? And then, my, like, first of all, and then there's, like, in the Hawkeye issue, there's a, a Thunderbolts uh, hostess pie ad, which is hysterical. So I just really enjoyed that. But then in issue 10, where they're like, oh, like, before, will they, won't they betray Zemo? Like they're getting like a medal and, and they, you know, they have the, the Avengers codes and everything. And all of a sudden at the meeting, like someone stooged them off and you're like, who like ratted out the Thunderbolts. And I'll just say this, that actually shocked me because we're only 10 issues into the regular series and they're already like, Oh, the Avengers are back and FF is back. And I'm like, wow, it was that fast. Was it? You know, I forgot it was only 12 issues of heroes were born, but then issues were late, whatever. They came back and I'm like, the Thunderbolts are out and they're on the run. And that dirty Zemo, once again, not only were they in Freedom Floor Plaza, you know, sullying that great building with their presence. Then on the way out, they Zemo blows it up. I'm like, I hate you, Baron Zemo. I hate you with every fiber of my being. But then Zemo's like, yeah, you were all getting soft. And I decided to, you know, rat us all out. And now you come with me or you're all going to jail. And they go and like the issue ends with, and now the plan. And I'm like, what's the plan? Like, I thought the plan was infiltrate, but that's gone completely sideways. So what's going to happen here? And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like what Zemo's plan is after, if this was the plan all along, or if there's something up his sleeve, you know what I mean? There's something up his sleeve, Tom. Zemo not putting all his cards on the table. No, Uh, sir. I don't, I don't believe it. So yeah, I, like I said, I'm enjoying Thunderbolts. I don't think I'll, you know, I'll enjoy it ever. Like we always said the way you guys did, because you had the, the freshness of it. But now, like I said, that we're past the gimmick and everything I'm enjoying how I forgot how well Gert Busick plots out stuff and these minus one issues and these annuals, they, even if they are forced on Kurt Busick, he knows how to make it work naturally. Like, oh, they're just here. Maybe they had to be here, but I'll make it work somehow because I'm Kurt effing Busick and it'll <laughs> it'll be fine when it's done. So. Right. Because, you know, you that was during the time where Marvel, for their fifth week events, were doing all these gimmicks, like the minus one issues, because DC did zero issues, so we're doing minus one. Or they'll do, like, the nuff said issues where, like, there's no spoken dialogue or whatever it is, right? Right. Or your annual has to be, like, a team-up between people. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and you look at some of these uh, from that era, you know, 96 to, you know, 2000, they were doing this. You could see the people that took them seriously, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And you could see the people that were just like, eh, well, we're being forced to do this. So we'll just have it be a throwaway, you know, where other writers like a Kurt Busiek. And I remember Joe Kelly at the time, actually, uh, you know, because it's during that run on De- Deadpool that I love so much where he was just starting writing Daredevil and he mm-hmm. ended up getting Daredevil as the annual partner with Deadpool. And he used it not only as part of his normal Deadpool story to continue the Deadpool story, to tie uh, Daredevil and a couple de- Daredevil villains into Deadpool's universe and to launch his storylines on Daredevil and not have it feel like the most busy overwritten thing in the world. It was great. 
Right. I always felt the same way with like Peter David, like when he was doing like Captain Marvel or whatever, they're like, here's, here's enough said. And it's like, you know what? He made that work or he made, you know, this before times issue work. And there's, there's writers who can do it. And there are writers who can't. And, you know, Kirby is, is a, is a can guy. Yep. Absolutely. So my reading was Conan. And we're reading Conan in the release order. Uh, as we've discussed last week, there are certain things uh, from the actual release order that end up getting traded or collected in different ways, but we're not doing it that way. So we're not including the last eight pages of issue seven because we <laughs> discussed them last week because that was the introduction of the quote-unquote bone woman. Right. Uh, what's her name? And again, I do want to apologize because Todd has the luxury of like, saying people's easy names like Techno or Baron, and I have all these, like, goofball names and stuff that I have to learn. <laughs> right, you have to learn all the shoot names of Conan's friends. Right. And, uh, and again, I forget who... Uh, Janissa, the Bone Woman, right? Mm-hmm. So we get her introduction in 7, now we go to 8, which is going to be an overarching thing of Conan's origin story, the Born of the Battlefield stuff. Um... I liked it because it was the return of, you know, it it, re- it returns back to the framing device that we saw in the zero issue of the visor reading those scrolls that they found in that chamber uh, that had the statue of Conan that was toppled. Mm-hmm. And the prince or whomever it was wants to know more about who this Conan was. So now we're getting into Conan's origin. Obviously, this at some point, these things are going to line up maybe even here. And Todd could help me out with that. Um, so nine is the first issue of our story arc here where Conan is on his quest, uh, after everything that happened in the previous issues, of course, and this is where he kind of falls in line or not falls in line, uh, falls on the same path as, uh, Janissa. And this issue here, this issue nine, we get Conan in the bar, those two thieve guys come up to him and kind of like, trying to show off to Conan. And that's the thing that eventually the more Conan I read, the less uh, I'm going to enjoy that every time Conan shows up into town, everyone steps to him. Mm-hmm. It never fails. Someone, whoever thinks they're the town, like the town tough guy mm-hmm. sees Conan, look at the way Conan does. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to step to that guy. I'm going to make my, you know what I mean? Like, my reputation is bigger than this guy. You would assume Conan has a pretty big reputation, but obviously he doesn't because it happens time and time again. But you also have to realize Conan has just left Samaria, Mm -hmm. and he's only had, really, in the state of it, two adventures. He has not made his bones yet. This is Conan. This is Conan before, like, like, these aren't, scrolls written about Conan. This is everybody. He's a big, stupid barbarian and we will stomp him. And I even like in this issue, there's the the scene where the two guys are like, ah, he's a nobody. But the way Busick has it written and the artist is Conan's hunkered down drinking in the booth. And they're like, we'll kick the crap out of this guy. And then Conan gets up out of the booth and he's looking down at them and they stammer. They're like, maybe we've made a mistake, but their bravado, they can't back down. So there goes in the issue. So it all, to me, it all fits into place of Busick writing it brilliantly. So that's just my opinion anyway. 
Right. So uh, Conan kind of re- re- regales the other people uh, with his arrival in the town, uh, running afoul of the magistrate in town mm-hmm. who comes by in his chariot. Of course, he sixes people on him, and Conan, of course, dispatches of them very easily. Uh, but Conan is going to sneak into uh, the the magistrate's castle or whatever it is that he's in, uh, you know, to extract his revenge, one would say. But, of course, as Conan gets there and sees that he's just like a shaking, quivering mess, he steals his armaments under the guise that he's going to go and sell them. Nobody at the pub believes him. He says, well, here they are right here. Everyone freaks out. The magistrate's watchmen show up, and Conan has disappeared, leaving the two earlier thieves red-handed with these items in their hands, and they get carted off to the Hooskow. Ho, ho, ho. While I do, I, I feel as though I may grow tired of Conan just being challenged everywhere he goes at every turn, I will never tire of the time when Conan outwits people, even though they are probably way, way dumber than your average person, but I like seeing Conan use his wits just as much as his uh, brute force. Yes, because that is great, because they all think they have the upper hand because he's some dim-witted, you know, barbarian. And he's like, oh, I did it. And then even in it, he's like, I'm still dumb, because if I if I had robbed this guy, I robbed things that are easily identifiable, like his his accoutrements and what he does, like his staff. And his, he goes, if I had just stole his money, I could have part with it. But you try to fence, like, the, the most recognizable gold in the whole city. He's like, so they're showing Conan learning how to be a thief, and I like that, too. So, Yep. And then the, the story ends, of course, because all the other bar patrons are there. And there's one specifically, and again, the names, Astrius? I think so. Okay. He decides that he has a job to offer Conan, and Conan will be well paid for this job. Um, all Conan has to do, essentially, is steal something in Numalia for him. Mm-hmm. So this leads us to a two-issue little arc here. And at this point, everything is like little, like, here's a one-issue thing, issue 10. Issue 9 and 10, you can kind of read them alone. You didn't read need to I- read issue 9. But the events of 9 directly lead into 10. 10 and 11 are their own self-contained story. But they also lead into the bigger, grander arc of 12, 13, 14, and so forth. So I like the way that the story is broken up, if that makes any sense, right? Right. Well, 10 and 11 are actually a Robert E. Howard Conan story called The God and the Bull. So Kurt's using 9 to lead into an actual Conan story that's written, and then he's writing new stories that are the aftermath of said story. So I don't know if you knew that those two were actually, like, official Robert E. Howard Conan stories. Yes. The reason I knew that was from last week. There's a lot more of the typeface mm-hmm. um, narration in, in 10 and 11 than there is in 9. There's a little bit in 9, but obviously 9 is what's leading us into 10 and 11. Okay. Right. Uh, so 10 and 11 is very Rashomon-esque, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. So Conan is tasked with breaking in to the Kalyan Publico Temple. <laughs> And upon arriving in said place uh, to steal something, he finds out that the person he is to steal something from is dead. And of course, as Conan makes this discovery, the guards and the inspector and so forth get the drop on Conan. And a lot of this is Conan attempting to 
explain his way out of this murder, but also, you know, kind of not reveal why he's really there. The guardsmen, watchmen, whatever, of course, know that he's guilty. He's not. He didn't kill the guy. He was definitely there to rob him, but he didn't kill him. And I'd like to the a lot of very rarely in a barbarian sword and sandal type thing do you get so much detective work. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I only mentioned this here slightly because as of this issue uh, officially out of 10 and 11, a little bit nine, but more so 10 and 11 that the art is now being handled both by Carrie Nord and Thomas Yates. Right. Cause Carrie Nord was, he was trying to keep it. He could do a decent amount of the issues, but he couldn't do all of them. Hence why the born on the battlefield were fill-ins and like, they were kind of giving him a break. You know what I mean? Right. But it, I, I, this, you know, I, I can see doing the flashback issues or the other issues, the fill-in issues as it were, uh, being things that are done by other creative teams, even other, you know, even another writer, but Busick is still in charge. But when the main story is fluctuating so wildly mm-hmm. of the art, that's really where um, you could, if like you feel it when the art changes. Okay. Um, so if an issue like 10 is more so the procedural stuff of the inspector trying to figure out how this happened. If Conan claims innocence, but it's learned that what Conan came to steal, as Todd mentioned, the God Bowl was opened, and whatever was inside the bowl killed Kalein. Right. Again, the names. So it's from this that they look at the markings in the bowl, they look at all the other things about the bowl itself, and they, now, again, Toth Amon? Toth, the way I've been told is pronounced is Toth Amon. Okay, Toth Amon uh, was behind it, wanted whatever was inside there to be released. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's in issue 11 where we get to see who Toth Amon is. Yep. And I will say this, Todd. Maybe yes. you can cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but Toth Amon is drawn very much to look like the visor from the uh, framing stories. Does he, Joe? Mm. Does he? Well, I've never noticed that before. Did did he have did he have like serpents and stuff like that? Maybe have snake eyes? I don't know. He seemed to dress like him, but I can't tell you whether or not. I'm not sure whether they're the same guy or whatnot. But mm-hmm. that's very interesting that you that, that you say that. That's all I'm going to say. So we get that information, of course. And as everything is kind of coming to a head, people are cracking under the pressure uh, as as Trius shows up and he plays dumb. He's the one who sent Conan on this mission. Um, he sells Conan down the river and then without thinking, without hesitation, <laughs> Conan just decapitates him in the second shocker of this issue. Yep. Um so like I said, if I like nine a lot, I liked eleven just for the shocking reveals and shocking murders happening <laughs> right. all around me as Conan is just like whipping butt on this room full of dudes. 
you know, we've gone away from last week where I read those issues where Conan is talking about his strategy of t- taking out people in a small hallway. This time it's just everyone dies. Yep. And I do like earlier on when the series started that they said literally in the letters page that this book will have the most decapitations for your money on any book on the on the market right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it still holds up. So with that, Conan goes back into the room and sees what's there and, of course, decapitates that, that right. whatever it was that came out of the, the god tomb. Yeah, some sort of snake creature. Right. But now that snake creature has led Conan on the next part of his path, um, where he is working along with Calanthesis. Sure. Calanthus. Why not? Uh, Sure, the priest of Isis, who is in direct competition, rivalry, sorcery, whatever it is, uh, with Toth Amon. Toth Amon. Right. But alongside uh, Kalanthis is the Bone Woman. And it's here in this portion, as they're on this path, that we learn the origin of this Bone Woman. Uh, Janice and how she came to be from the original Bone Woman. Right. The old woman who has kind of put these things into motion. Uh, Janice just kind of does whatever she says, and it's in these issues where we learn why. And I will say this, Todd, it was 2004, 2005. <laughs> yep. It was a different time. You can't judge. And there's no way that origin story would fly even in the subtle ways that it did there. Right. They use a few hard R words to describe what's happening in this series. So, yeah, I know what you mean. And there's a couple other books at the time that I was reading that kind of did the same thing with origins. They don't fly fly the same. So I, I get what you're saying. Right. And then, obviously, of course, you know, you get the uh, battle uh, at first uh, glance between Conan and Janissa. And, you know, later on that night, you know, these are the things, these are the growing moments that I like to see when Conan is not just completely all the time drawn and presented and, you know, as a mindless brute who's just kind of straightforward and ahead. And I like that. I'm all about that. But when we get those parts where he uses his cunning, we get those parts where he learns his thievery, we get those parts where he shows, like, a little bit of, like, humbleness of going to Janice of, like, hey, you kind of got one over on me, so you must be pretty good. What could you teach me? Yep, he's always willing to learn. He's never, he's never... Like, oh, this is stupid. You're just a woman. I can't learn. He's, for a barbarian, he's very open-minded. So, I, I yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, I did enjoy that part of this. And, you know, I kind of felt, you know, they, they kind of make Janice a sympathetic character while still being an evil person who's willing to sell anyone down the river at any time. Conan, of course, is the baby face in all of this. And then we have Kalanthis um, with his magic, quote unquote, as it were. But it's his magic is mostly a lot of like herbs and potions and tinctures that have a limited shelf life. Right. And I, I will say this as we get into issues 13 and 14, where it gets to be a little bit more of the sorcery part of your sword and sandal stuff. Right. 
I don't like that as much as the straightforward stuff when it comes to Conan. I like it sprinkled in. Uh, but this, you know, I like it. It's fine. But in given the choice between the more magical stuff and the more uh, street level, if you will. Right. I like the more street level Conan stuff than the fa- the fanciful Conan That's stuff. Right. You like barbarian for hire instead yeah. of like instead of like, like infinity I like scheming. I like climbing buildings. I like that sort of thing. Right. Instead of infinity barbarian, you like uh, barbarian for hire. But yeah, you're like Conan. Conan hates magic too, so it'll all work out as the book goes along. It's not that I don't hate. It's not that I hate it. It's just that if given the choice, I would prefer no magic over magic when it comes to this, you know? Right. right. You know, fighting god serpents and, like, Conan has to wear a magical feather of protection, but then he has to take the magical protection feather off so that he could destroy the eye of Tick Pulanga. Sure. I call it the the ring, the one ring to rule them all, but, you know, whatever. Tomato, sure. tomato. Sure. Um, but, you know, when it gets to the end, of course... They do kind of cast aside uh, Tothamon, but obviously not for good. And uh, by the time we get to the final issue, we also have Tom Mandrake helping out on art chores as well. Right. Uh, I really liked it. Um, It just petered out a little bit when it got more into the magical sorcery stuff. I really liked more the head lobbing stuff than anything else. I agree. I think they could have... They could have shortened the uh, the magic, the three issues. They could have combined it into maybe two. Even me rereading it, I was like, man, this could, this is going on in like an issue too long. So Yeah, like it, it felt, you know, like it moved a little bit better when it was the one issue, the two issues. And then if this was two issues, I think it would have flowed better. I agree. And like I said, I like Tom Mandrake's art. Uh, I'm not familiar with uh, Thomas Yates's art other than what I've seen here. I've probably seen stuff of his. It's just not popping into my head right now. But seeing less and less Carrie Nord art as we're going forward is making me a little sad is all. I think he comes back around, so you should be good. Yeah, I don't want to peek too far into the future on this. Yeah, don't. But I've been enjoying this. I really like it. It's really good. Good. I'm glad. I think we're doing pretty well with this with this experiment in these strange times, Joe. Mm-hmm. So. So I think we're going to continue on, as we mentioned, in these strange times. We're going to read more Conan, and we're going to read more Thunderbolts. Right. I think because we've both been enjoying what we've been reading, so why change? Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a little bit easier. You know, I'll put the post up on Friday. Uh, maybe uh, The plan was Thursday, but, you know, Thursday, Friday, time permitting, uh, that we are going to be reading, I am going to be reading uh, issues 11 to 18 in the release order of Conan, and Todd is going to be reading, reading issues 15 to 22 of Thunderbolts. Right. I'm not sure how he got so many issues ahead of me, but here we are. No, no, wait. You're reading... Oh, that's right. I have that flipped. I'm reading have, 15 to 22 of Th- Conan, and yep. Todd's reading 11 to 18 of uh, Thunderbolts. How did I get so far ahead? I don't know. In the morning words of Willy Wonka, strike that, reverse it. Right. That was all very wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. I, re- I just read 10. Why am I reading 15? Mm-hmm. I'm oh, a dope. Leave me alone. Good, 
Good thing I was here, Joe. So, I'm not just a seat filler. But so I ahead. wrote it down on my piece of paper. And I wrote the wrong numbers under the names, and then I wrote an arrow underneath so I could correct it, but then I ignored the arrow. It's like while I was working, <laughs> someone came in and highlighted the arrow so I wouldn't pay attention to it. That's right. That's what it's highlighted for, to ignore mm-hmm. it. Uh, so like I said, I'll put a post as a reminder, of course, about what we're reading for this week, uh, continuing on with the great trade-off, reading Kurt Busiek stuff. Um, you know, depending on how the news goes, maybe we'll be reading more in the coming weeks. Maybe we'll change over to another writer. We have some ideas of what and where we can go uh, forward. While you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we've done in the past, past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. Uh, these Kurt Busick posts are under the pull po- or the, um, the uh, Todd and Joe Have Issues tab. So that's something you could definitely check out if you're looking for some stuff to read. Um, I mentioned last week, I think as we're speaking, uh, our T public store is having a 35% off sale. So, you know, if you have money partake in that, I'm not going to hammer that too hard. I've got shirts, stickers, and pins here at the house. Not going to hammer that too hard. We're mentioning it. The Patreon, of course, $5 a dollar a month is going to get you those bonus shows. The $5 gets them before everybody else and also gets after dark before everybody else. Uh, but the Amazon link across the top of the page, I think people are still living and making purchases. And uh, Amazon is a great place to do that. And an even better way to do that is go to our site first. Click the Amazon banner at the crop, top of the page. We get a couple extra bucks on the back end advertising fee, whatever they want to call it. But uh, I do want to thank everyone who is still using our Amazon click-through for any and all of your purchases, whether it be necessities or not. Uh, some of the mo- notable purchases this past week, uh, someone purchased an Oreo Ritz and Honey Made Cracker Snack Pack variety thing. Ooh. Uh, somebody also purchased uh, Keebler Club Crackers and a three-pack tub of Ovaltine Classic Malt <laughs> Milk Drink Mix or whatever it is. Drink your Ovaltine. This mm-hmm. is a commercial. It's a crummy commercial. <laughs> Uh, Somebody also purchased hefty slider storage bags. Uh, I think maybe they've let some figures breed and want to keep them safe. Uh, Somebody also purchased... Oh, sorry. Or they're freezing mass amounts of meat. Oh, there you go. Uh, Somebody purchased a 10-pack of Sales for Less uh, poly bubble mailers, waterproof, uh, you know, things to send stuff out. And somebody also purchased Lego brick drawers in dark green and light royal blue, which are pretty neat things. I don't think they're official Lego, but they're like giant storage containers that look like giant Legos that you could put your Legos in, stack them up like you have Legos that you store your Legos in. Pretty fun. It's like it's like Lego Inception. Yes. And uh, somebody also purchased the Amazon brand Solimo Tull. Uh, trash bags and the Amazon brand Happy Belly Canola Oil. <laughs> I, I don't when know I why my... we have to double dip on these names. You know, just put Amazon's name on them and be done with them. Like by putting the second company name on there. I don't know. Maybe it's whatever their deal with Amazon is. Whatever. But thank you for your purchases is all I say. I say thank you too. 
what else do we have? Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? No, but I do have a plea to anyone listening in the sound of my voice. If you have a certain artist by the name of Phil Noto's ear, uh, let me know. I'm looking to get something done. I figure I don't use this platform for, for stuff for myself. This is one time that I may throw that out there. If anybody in the sound of my voice knows how I can get something done, please let me know. Does Phil Noto not have social media? Can't you just harass him there? He does, but he very rarely uses it and doesn't answer. Like he'll just use it to promote his his projects, but his like Twitter is very like if people like ask, hey, hey could I get something done? Like he never answers. And I do know that he has a a web page for like his art and stuff like that, that he has something that you can send, and I'm going to do that, but maybe. I've known a few people in the past who are like, hey, I know the guy personally. You never know, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't ask for favors much. I'll take one one every 500 episodes, Joe. Yes, sir. Oh, creeping up on episode 500. Oh, boy. <laughs> yep, it's 501 we got to work on. Get, get yeah. that email out to the Rob. <laughs> oh, boy. When things slow down, maybe. Maybe. Right, you know, I know. Maybe we'll save 501. Yep. Okay, so we're not going to dwell too much on it. It's an older show, Amazon Prime. Maybe you watch it, maybe you didn't. We always like to have a TV or movie thing. Uh, Todd did not watch Trolls World Tour like I'd asked him to. (laughs) My video on demand was down. It was trolling me. And I wish I'd taken his advice. Oh. It's not that the first Trolls movie was... uh, this fantastic work of art, you know, sometimes the dream, the dream, the dream works end of animation is more miss than hit. Right. And uh, I would put this one as more in the miss category. If we pay right. a, a play, if we play a bunch of popular music from the seventies to current, it'll attempt to keep your parents, uh, interest spoiler. It may have worked on one parent, but not the other. Uh, see, I was worried not seeing Trolls 1, Trolls 2, Electric Boogaloo. I wouldn't have been able to follow the plot. Yes. The plot. <laughs> the plot sickens. But anyway. So uh, over the last two weeks, my wife and I have been attempting to watch The Boys. Based mm-hmm. on the Dynamite comic book from Garth Ennis and uh, Derek Robertson. Obviously, this just came out last year. The comic, I think, is about 10, 15 years old. I believe so. Now, I I never read the whole thing of the comic. I think I read the first trade and liked it. It was fine. But it was at the time where it felt your Garth Ennis's and stuff were less writing for quality and more writing for how can I outshock and outgross and out whatever the yep. last thing that I did. You you nailed like Garth Ennis non like especially anything that involved a superhero pastiche or superheroes. Yes. That's what he was doing. Like his preacher, his his other stuff like that. I'm trying to think like his war books were more grounded and not gross out, you know, try to shock you but stuff like this definitely and i checked out around the hero gasm miniseries i was like uh not only are you sh- trying to shock and like gross me out you're stretching i felt like they were stretching by that point right so uh i didn't stooge too much of this off to my wife 
I just said, oh, I go, it's about superheroes, but it gets a little dark. It's by Garth Ennis. She goes, oh, Garth Ennis from Preacher. I go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there were, even just in the first issue, the first issue, the first episode, where we're getting introduced to everything, um, you know, we see the demise of Huey's girlfriend because of A-Train. We see Starlight's initiation with the Seven, which is the Justice League pastiche. Um, and uh, her interactions with the Deep, the Aquaman analog. <laughs> and again, I don't know how much of this is in the comic books or not. I just know what's here. Um, she was gasping and jumping and like hand over the mouth, like shocked as everything was happening. So I'm like, this works. Mm-hmm. Well, this is how that... people are supposed to be reacting to this. Yes, the thing that happened with the Deep and Starlight, that happened in the comic, but it was the whole team almost. Oh, okay. That was the only difference. They they toned that scene down, Joe. Oh, th- what we got was the toned down version. Yes, there's a lot of toning down in the boys, which is scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one nice nod that I liked was, uh, I don't know, the actor who plays Huey in this. Right. But in the comic books, Huey was made up to look like Edgar Wright. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, same difference. Right. Made to look True. like Simon Pegg. And Simon play, Pegg plays his dad in this. Right, because when it came time to play, he was a little too old to play him. Yes. Um, I like Billy the Butcher. He's a bit of a, a jerk. My wife really likes Frenchie because Frenchie <laughs> is the one uh, who first of the boys gets to show a little pathos mm-hmm. to show that he has a good side to him, to show that he's not a horrible person. We all get it. They all get, you know, we kind of get, like, why Billy is targeting the soups. And, you know, it kind of adds a little pathos to his character. But Frenchie's interactions of trying to uh, help or save the girl, the female that they find, is, you know, I think what drew my wife to be like, okay, I like him the most because, you know, he's not completely horrible. Starlight... We haven't gotten to the park because we only watched the first four episodes. If she is completely horrible, we haven't been shown that yet. The only thing that's completely horrible so far about Huey is the fact that he is keeping secrets from everyone. And does Huey have a superpower or is he just hallucinating a lot of this stuff? Hugh, what do you mean? Like, I don't remember what he did that you may think that he has a superpower. So earlier in the episodes... He's getting flashes of things that haven't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, is he, da- like, it's not clear if he's daydreaming or if he's seeing some sort of alternate reality. I think it's supposed to imply, because I don't remember, okay. but I think it's supposed to imply that he's having, like, traumatic stress syndrome and he's having visions. Like, he's okay. freaking out over all this because his girlfriend had been killed by, I forget which, the flash past each, which the is a A-train. great. The atrium, which is a great scene, by the way. But that seems to be what's happening with Huey that I remember is like it's it's very overwhelming from like he's in too deep already. And he's okay. like having these he's hallucinations. And then, of course, we get um, in, you know, they ep- episode uh, two, uh, they send because a train kills Huey's girlfriend there's some sort of mystery going on of why and where he was going. And that's where they're investigating uh, the government or the government. Uh, the people who run the seven are trying to pay Huey off. They have this information. So they send Huey 
to the Seven's Tower, that he's going to place some sort of tracker, some sort of listening device in there, and their invisible man pastiche, whose name escapes me. Right, I forget, because in the comic, he was a Martian Manhunter pastiche, so I forget to. So he comes after Huey, Billy shows up, they can't kill him because he has indestructible skin, they end up blowing him up, and Huey is the one that actually pushed the button through a series of events, and then there's a lot going on in this, but like I said, it's not overwhelming if you have any sort of tertiary knowledge, especially of DC superheroes, I think you will really enjoy this. And as Todd mentioned, as graphic and as violent as over the top as the show is, it's toned down from the comics. Yep. Did you get to uh, uh, anybody, because I don't want to spoil anything, saving a plane yet? Yes. That is one of my saving a plane yes i i was trying if you didn't see it i was trying to be vague but you've seen the scene but that scene in there and up to that point and before and wait until is the guy who plays homelander is one of my favorites because he can do cheesy superman psychopath and go from one to the other in about an eighth of a second and he does that thing with the plane where he kills the 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 the, the hostage, not the hostage, the the terrorist. And in my mind, I'm like, his this whole time he had a plan. He was like, I'm killing everybody on this plane because it suits my needs. And he later has that press conference and uses the plane crash. And I'm like, you staged this the whole time. And just the beauty of it, he's one of my favorite characters. And the deep, how jerky the deep is. And as his, like, I don't know what you've seen in the four episodes because I, I watched it all. His storyline is hysterical, but he's such a scumbag. And the whole way the, the superheroes are set up with their PR and everything, you think they can't get any scumbagier, if that's a word. Right. But yet, somehow they do and there's whole scenes where i'm like this is so fake it can't get any faker oh wait we just got faker and it's fantastic so um for some reason even though i didn't watch the tv show the stuff with the plane crash right i think was something that kind of popped up more in the consciousness that the show existed right and i was more aware of that happening but for some reason i thought it happened later in the series, not as it, early as it did. It might have. They move a ton of stuff around. Right. So that's kind of like the beginning of the unraveling of Queen Mauve. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to see all of the characters unravelings. Mm-hmm. All of the, uh, you know, main characters on the Sevens unraveling. Where it seems as though, as you mentioned about Homelander, where he walks this line between the cheesy good guy, but also this most sadistic character... And when they're filming the fake reality show of him right, and the rest of the seven, that's when we're starting to see some of those cracks happen. But, you know, the company that owns the seven is trying to get the government to approve the seven essentially replacing the military. Right. And the woman who's in charge of the seven, uh, Madeline or whatever her name is, she has one idea of how she's going about it. And it's very clear that Homelander has a different way of going about it. Right. And Homelander may or may not have a thing for Madeline. Yeah, because that gets a little creepy at times. Oh, it's going to get creepy. And I do like the one last thing that I'll that I'll talk about is I like whenever like the the company, I think it was just called Vought, 
is pushing the superheroes. They're like, oh, we're going to put out these PR videos. It's all shot like the Snyder DC movies. Like the scene of like, hey, like Homelanders, like Superman. And they have that person walking through the wheat field with their hand, which is just totally swiped from a Snyder movie. And I'm like, I get, I get the joke that you're making fun of like the Snyder-esque versions of this is what the superheroes would actually be like in a Snyder movie. Like they're jerks. And I just found it funny. Like some of the visuals that they were just swiping from Snyder in the world where superheroes are terrible people. (laughs) It was a nice nod to me. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. Uh, As I mentioned, we attempted to watch more of it this weekend and we just didn't get time. It got away from us, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm looking forward. And I know my wife was looking forward to it as well. Uh, watching it, she's thoroughly enjoying it. So, you know, don't be afraid to check this out. Right. I'm actually interested in, like, when it's all over your wife's opinion, because, like, you have an idea, and her, like you said, being like, oh my, kind of is, like, intriguing, you know? Right. So, you know, having uh, some knowledge of the comic books and what the the, the themes and thematicness of the comic book is, I knew what I was getting myself involved with. She did not. Like, she knew it was going to be dark, but not how dark it was going to be. Right. But as mentioned, you know, with the plane crash happening, everyone else is just getting more and more dark. Mm-hmm. And we're only halfway in and there's four episodes left. So it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I think my wife is a little bit more prepared for it. Ah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think so. I think that's it for this week. Yeah, well, you're going to try and watch more Boys for next week. and then That is the plan, yes. Then the week after that, we should have some Flash and Legends to discuss, hopefully. Taking everything day by day. Yep, I don't like to get two, two weeks out. That, that throws us off when we have to think about it. Yep. So. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, episode 498 of Longbox Heroes in the Books. I have to stop saying that because that's being saved for the other show, right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Uh, But for Todd, this is Joe saying again, thanks for listening and we'll see y'all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.